You are listening to highlights from an episode of The Creative Process. To listen to the full interview or hear more about The Creative Process projects, please visit www.creativeprocess.info. I don't know which is the first uh, part of the book that you wrote. I wrote the book completely linearly, so from beginning to end. Mm And the, in the original outline for the novel, the uh, the scene in the Philippines mm-hmm. would not take place until right before he went to returned mm-hmm. to Laos and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, as I wrote, started writing the novel, I felt that maybe I had to rearrange it and move it up earlier, mm-hmm. um, just for various reasons of pacing. Mm-hmm. So when it time to write that scene, to write all of those chapters. Um, I took a break in order to do research. So I read everything that had been written about Francis Ford Coppola and Apocalypse Now. Yeah. I, mean, I, knew, I knew enough already so that I had the vague outline of what these chapters would look like. But reading, doing all that research gave me so much information, so much ammunition, uh, because there were things that happened on the set that you just could not make up. You know? So I, for example, I really had to confirm that Vietnamese refugees were used in the making of the movie. I, 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 I suspected that might be the case, but I definitely found out that that was true, for example. And in terms of writing the chapters, it was very organic uh, because I had a lot of anger in me about uh, these kinds of movies. And so your idea of a subtitle is pretty accurate because I wanted to scream and I had to find a way to sublimate that and turn it into something that was funny. because. Having it, you know, just being angry would not be enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be too tiring to read an, a novel that was 400 pages of anger. Mm-hmm. And I've read books like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also read books that are 400 pages of humor. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's not enough either. You have to have some combination of the two to get at the real gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, Hollywood provides plenty of material for both anger and comedy. What was the first story you wrote? Just how did you find your way to writing? Well, the first story I ever wrote was when I was in the third grade, which would be about eight or nine years old. But in terms of the kinds of stories that would eventually make their way into the books you have now, Mm. that was probably college Mm. when I thought, I want to write fiction about what it means to be Vietnamese. And that began the moment I got to college. You know, I, I, I'd written some stories in high school and so on, but when I got to college, I thought very clearly I need to write stories about being Vietnamese American. And that was the beginning. Because you didn't see enough stories at that? Yeah, I, and I knew that as a scholar, from a scholarly point of view, mm-hmm. I knew that because I was also writing about the, uh, Vietnamese Americans for my academic work, even as a college student. And I think I, I'd read, by the time I was a senior, I read everything that was in English by Vietnamese Americans or by Vietnamese refugees or, had, that, it, or that had been translated into English. And it wasn't very much. Mm. Um, so I knew distinctly that there was a place for stories about Vietnamese Americans uh, or even Vietnamese people in English. Uh, and so that was when it was very clear to me that I thought I'll become a writer who, who writes at least for his first book, stories about Vietnamese refugees and Vietnamese Americans. Mm-hmm. I was 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. And then by the time um, it came around to writing The Sympathizer, mm-hmm. it was 20 years later, 
all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but during that time period, a lot of other Vietnamese American writers had already published. And they had already written all these stories about Vietnamese Americans and Vietnamese mm-hmm. refugees. And that was actually very, on the one hand, it was very frustrating for me as a writer to see that happening because I wasn't getting my own book published. Yeah. But on the other hand, it was very liberating because when it came time to write The Sympathizer, I didn't need to write those, I did not need to write that Vietnamese American story anymore. It already been done. And so I thought, and I already written my own short story collection that had not yet been published. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna write a novel that is not like anything, or at least is not simply about the refugee or the immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to write a war novel that's going to take on the whole experience of the war, which until then has been mostly the domain of white men writing about Vietnam, at least in English. I really feel in the book, it's, even though it's strongly given the narrator's voice, I just, I love the ambiguity of, it's not just a narrative, mm-hmm. I love that. I wonder if you could talk more uh, about the research uh, that went into finding his voice and allowing us to see him from inside and outside. Um, well, it's very, I mean, when I came up with the outline for the novel, I also came up with the sketch of who the protagonist, mm-hmm. uh, or anti-hero, is going to be, and I knew that the novel would be told entirely in the first person from his point of view. Mm-hmm. And I constructed him, even before I started writing, in a very deliberate way. Like, he had to be French and Vietnamese. He had to be well-versed in American culture and also Vietnamese culture because I wanted him to be somebody who uh, literally embodied that whole stereotype of the East-West conflict and would be intelligent enough to comment about that and comment about the war and about politics. Um, So that meant he was also someone who knew a lot about communism and and Marxist theory. So that was the general biography. Um, And then in terms of coming up with his voice, I knew that this was going to be a novel where I could finally, as a writer, let go. You know, in writing the short story collection, I think I'd been very careful, I'd been trying to learn how to be a writer, and I was worried about other people's opinions and whether I would get these stories published, and the stories were written in a very constrained or restrained way. And with the novel, I thought, I'm going to write this novel for me, not for anybody else. I don't care what anyone else thinks and I'm going to let it all out. And that meant that the voice of the novel had to be very robust and very vigorous and had to say had to be able to say things that I always wanted to say and that I felt were not being said, especially by Vietnamese or Asian. Um, so it had to be angry. But I also was drawn to novels of war that were satirical and humorous. Um, and I wanted those elements in there as well. I visited uh, Saigon, I called it Ho Minh, but uh, I uh, went to the War Remnants Museum and I just started crying uncontrollably. I don't know if you had an experience like that. And uh, my guide, he looked at me and he said, but why are you crying? Don't you know our history? And of course I know the history, but is it, it, I don't know, sometimes something's come over you in a way. Um, did that happen to you? I went, well, 2002, the first time, mm-hmm. and it was the old museum, which mm-hmm. was um, a, a, just a cluster of small buildings, mm-hmm. uh, none, none, of them, none of them taller, taller than one story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't cry, but I was completely shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt, I, felt, I felt the experience very, very viscerally. I felt mm-hmm. sick. Mm-hmm. And I felt 
like this was there was a I felt I felt all kinds of emotions that I didn't know how to process at the time. And so, for example, I didn't take any pictures of the exhibits in the museum. I just took pictures of the outside, uh, which was the courtyard with some airplanes and guns and all that. Um, but I didn't take pictures of the exhibits, which were the same as what you saw. Um, you know, pictures of dead people and Agent Orange victims and things like this. And at the time, there were still fetuses in bottles. Mm -hmm. I think by the time you went, maybe they weren't there. Yeah, there was there. some. Yeah, I okay. saw. But I thought this is a violation. You know, I was like, this is these are dead people who are, you know, terrible things have happened to them. It's already a violation to have their images recorded this way. And how can I take pictures of the pictures? Um, so it would take me a long time to process my relationship to death and memory and mm -hmm. politics because the museum has all of those things going on in it. And uh, so it was a nothing ever dies. You know, it would take me a long time to write the chapter that dealt with these kinds of things. But um, I would feel that again in Phnom Penh, in Cambodia, in several places when I visited the various kinds of genocide memorial uh, places there as well. And if anything, it's worse for me in, in Phnom Penh seeing uh, the Tulo Slang Museum and the Chungak Killing Fields. And, uh, I remember returning from those places and just feeling physically exhausted and sick, even to a greater degree than in. And, and it was not my history. Like you're saying, it was not your history in War Remnants Museum. It was not my history in Phnom Penh, but I could still feel the impact of those images and that those memories there. So you were prepared in when you you were prepared in Vietnam and Nazi. I was prepared in both cases. Yes. I'd, I'd done the work, yes. you know, I knew I knew I knew what they were about and I'd already seen many of these pictures and books already. Yeah. You know, but still I think there is something important about visiting a site, mm. a place that's crucial, which is why visiting Vietnam is important. Like for me, going to places is important to try to absorb some of the haunting that's there, but also there's the sheer physical experience of being in a place, feeling the heat, talking, speaking Vietnamese, meeting Vietnamese people, all of that makes, reawakens memories or, or makes images in the pictures take on a different dimension. Yeah. Um, so that was why it was important for me to, to go back to Vietnam and to spend a year altogether in Vietnam visiting these kinds of places for the purposes of uh, all of all the books, but most, most specifically, Nothing Ever Dies. But the physical experience of traveling through the country, encountering Vietnamese people, dealing with Vietnamese customs and language and weather, all that was crucial to the work of the memory. What message do you like to give to your students, to your readers? And it depends, you know, I think that in terms of the humanities and the arts in general, it is what I just mentioned to mm -hmm. you, that they remain crucially important, mm -hmm. certainly for people who love the humanities and the arts, right? But crucially important in terms of defining who we are as a people, as a culture, as a country. Um, that's true in any country you're talking about, any culture you're talking about. And that's why I, I always, you know, think that writers need to be committed writers. Not everybody needs to be committed, but we, we don't see enough committed writers in the United States, for example. And this is, this is an interview about the American writer from the American Writers Museum, right? Yes. Okay. So, you know, uh, the age of Donald Trump has, I think, made it very evident to writers and that stories matter, you know, and, and make America great again is a story. I like the story, but it's a very powerful story that a lot of people do like. 
And for me, my work has always been about contesting that story. Ever since I was a kid, I see this, this sign in a window near my parents' store, another American driven out of business by the Vietnamese. Mm. And I thought, that's a story. Mm. At, 10, at 10 or 12 or whatever, I knew that was a story. And it didn't include me in the parents. But there's a direct connection between that story and Make America Great Again. So that's been my life project, is to say, no, we didn't drive you out of, <laughs> out of your own country. You know, there's a much more complicated story here about America, about Vietnam, about me, about my people, and that's American people and Vietnamese people that need to be told through the arts and humanities, right? And uh, it's a crucial terrain, which is why we keep fighting about it, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, conservatives or liberals. Uh, we know that culture is an important place where we define who we are. Want to get involved with exhibitions or interviews? Email us at team at creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening.